Hi, my name is Reese Wells. My pronouns are he, him, his, and this is the Counseling Connection Podcast. Okay, no housekeeping today. Our podcast topic is discussing grief and loss processes for clients and clinicians. I'd like to introduce Dr. Lycus Worley. Elizabeth Lycus Worley, PhD, LCMHCS, is currently a counselor educator at Western Carolina University. She graduated from Western in community counseling and got her PhD in counseling and supervision from UNC Greensboro. During the past 25 years, she has primarily lived and worked in the Asheville area and has extensive experience in clinical mental health centers, school-based therapy, foster slash adoption services, three university counseling centers, and IOP. After several years as a faculty at East Tennessee State as director of the Community Counseling Clinic, she returned to Western. She developed a grief and loss course and has been diving into research and experiences of non-death grief and loss processes and meaning making. Other interests include identity development, trauma, addictions, and life transitions. I'm really grateful to have gotten a chance to interview Dr. Lycus Worley on this subject. If you're interested, you can find these articles and additional information about this subject from my website at reesewells.com. And now, Dr. Lycus Worley. All right, y'all, Reese Wells here, back on the Counseling Connection podcast. It has been a couple of months, and I'm excited to be back. I'm also really stoked to welcome Dr. Lycus Worley from Western Carolina into the conversation today. She's kind enough to have brought um, her expertise on grief and loss counseling into our, our conversation. Dr. Lycus Worley, thanks so much for taking some time. Thank you so much for the opportunity to do this. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm just really um, excited to connect with you. I you know, looked over your notes from your North Carolina Counseling uh, Conference from 2021. I was just really struck by um, by the content of, of your presentation. So I'm really grateful that you're able to take some time today to talk about grief and loss counseling, you know, from a clinician's perspective, from an academic perspective, and also for the clients that you work with and presumably other clinicians who are listening to this podcast work with. And so before we dive into that today, just curious to get a little bit more information about you. Um, the question that I like to ask the guests who come on to this podcast is you know, pretty pretty interesting to me. It's like, what drew you to the field of mental health counseling? You know, I think I have always been really fascinated by human interactions and dynamics and how the mind works. Um, I'm an observer of people. I love people watching. But I also love, I've always loved connecting with people and finding common experiences. Um, I've been told I was a pretty intuitive, approachable listener but I've always been really genuinely curious about people's stories. Um, and I come from a very expressive family, uh, lots of talking, lots of processing, and I'm probably the most emotionally expansive one. So I have ample practice. Um, so for me, it was a it was a fairly straightforward path from, from that into psychology as a major. Um, knew I wanted to be a counselor for the human interaction part. Um, and then went from working in a wilderness camp and then going into graduate school. Awesome. And how long have you been with Western Carolina? 
Um, I'm, this is the end of my third year, starting my fourth year this fall. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, our topic for today is on helping clients process grief and loss. I guess starting off, can we create an operational definition of what grief is and loss is um, for those who are listening in? Yeah, so I think um, loss very broadly, in very broad terms, can be anything that has changed, decreased or is absent that typically was there before in some way. Everything from a dream, a hope, a relationship, a belief, a person, a home. Um, And we think of those terms generally in death and bereavement, but it also encompasses this whole world of non-death losses that I think go on every day for all of us. Um, I would say... Grief is the the natural process that kind of envelops that loss and change that's happening. How we're thinking about it, how we're feeling about it, our the roller coaster world of when it comes and goes. That is a natural, normal, whatever normal means, response to a change or loss. Yeah, and I appreciate the the broadness of the definition of loss in terms of my own understanding prior to coming to you know, graduate school, like, yeah, loss is when somebody in your life dies, you know, death and bereavement. However, I appreciate the thought. It's like when you, when something changes, right? And I feel like this topic is especially pertinent right now as the world seems to be changing at an incredible rate and there are people experiencing loss on great scales, not only from, you know, the micro scales of the human life, you know, losing jobs, losing people from the pandemic, but even on a global scale, the, the climate change and the loss of our environment and the change that we are experiencing just across the globe right now. So I, mm-hmm. I've i been thinking a lot about collective grief and, and what a complicated process that is. And what I think you've hit on is that we're seeing a lot more in a lot of the mainstream media right now. now and I don't know that research – Research will get there in a year or two when things get published, but we're seeing it all around us because we've all, as an entire people, world, globe, have been experiencing collective grief, financially from people losing their jobs, health-wise, people getting sick, people, some not surviving it, some surviving it, and what does that mean to live with this new thing? Um, Educational losses, you know, everybody that was in some sort of school experienced that transition. Uh, as well as the the teachers, instructors, faculty. And, of course, and the counselors had to adapt to, okay, I love being in person and having my own office and space, and now I've got to talk through a screen. So I think you're right. It was it hit us all, and so now it's on our radar in a very different way than it was before. Yeah. And something that I'm aware of and, you know, is aware of through, Know, your your conversations and the the articles that you sent me in preparation for this interview is the importance of making meaning of it all. And so I think the other mm-hmm. important uh, thing to define is w- what is the meaning making process of experiencing grief and loss. Yeah, and the meaning making process to me is the most important step. And I, just to mention, you know, a lot of people, I say the mainstream. Uh, mainstream uh, 
culture is familiar with Kubler-Ross's five stages. Some people call them five stages of grief, five stages of, of death and dying. But she actually worked with someone named David Tesler um, on those. And David Tesler got permission from her family to add a sixth stage. And I never heard about it before this past year. It's called meaning-making. Um, and so I think we've evolved from this concept of centering on the death and dying, but then what's the next step? What is the other side um, to life and living? How do we go on and, and still hold on or honor the loss and the impact that it had on us? How do we mark this as a significant moment? Um, and that's really where the work comes in that I think we as counselors can help facilitate, help people explore. Do I have some unresolved things that I haven't made meaning of yet? The person is gone, and I think I've accepted that. Um, so the, the process looks very different. Some people want to be able to talk it out. Some people want to be able to experience it because they don't have words. Um, but, to, but to recognize it, acknowledge it, and just have somebody hear them say, you know what, um, this didn't go away for me. It's not going to be put in a tidy little box <laughs> to say, okay, we're all good now, done, um, check. And, we, and I can talk more about, you know, some of those specific meaning-making processes, we can get into some of that on that. Yeah. Uh, I was just laughing as you were saying, like, yep, I'm all good now, check. Like, I was like, crap. <laughs> I wish it was as yeah. easy as that. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I, I wish so, too. I wish there was some – I told my class this week, actually, last night, my grief and loss class, um, there is no formula, you know, that you can say, if you do these steps, now you've processed grief and loss. Now you've made meaning and you can move on with your life. Um, that process is a lot slower than we are comfortable with as humans. Yeah, no kidding. And, you know, something that you're touching on is just making me think about, and it, it ties into this next question of, like, you know, what are the different types of grief and loss that are commonly seen in practice? The sense that I get from the different iterations of grief, the, the depth of it, the scope of it, like it's complex. And so I'm wondering, you know, generally speaking, what are some of the main types of grief and loss that clinicians can expect to, to experience in, in their practice? Mm -hmm. Um, that's a big question because I think there are so many different types, like you said. It's complex, and some will experience it as grief, and others will say, yeah, that was a loss, but they may not name that as a grief, something that the, that they're stuck in grief. So I, in my experience as a, as a counselor and as an instructor and as a supervisor, it is pervasive in the stories I've heard from clients and students over the years. Um, I think what people call grief and loss is a barrier. So there, a lot of people don't even acknowledge that until you actually ask some focused questions or give them some sort of an assessment. Um, but relational grief, you know, relationship breakups, friendship loss, separation, divorce, that is a huge one. Um, and, of course, developmentally, depending on how we deal with the early ones, it impacts our future relationships and our subsequent relationships. So that is one for sure. Um, I think any time there is a, a traumatic experience, trauma can cause loss of safety, loss of trust, loss of um, feeling like anyone is on their side. So those are things that come out of trauma, right? Their whole world do shift. The loss of the way my life was supposed to be or that I thought it was supposed to go. 
Um, sometimes people are entering counseling and they're just saying, you know, I, they're one of the, the types that I remember gravitating towards the first time I heard this term was non-event. Things that don't happen that we want to happen or expect to happen. Um, when people don't get into a school or a program that they wanted to do, when they um, have uh, reproductive issues or trauma with infertility, miscarriage, things like that, I mean, any, any type of uh, shift in something that they anticipated happening and then it didn't. And then they're left with this void, but we wouldn't call that a loss because they didn't necessarily lose an object or a person. Those are some of the big ones, I think, um, as well as, of course, um, death and illness, things like that. Suicide, of course, is big in our field in terms of what that can present for the people, the survivors around that person. Yeah. You know, <laughs> as you're talking, talking, saying that, you know, it's not just, you know, things and people that bring about grief and loss, but the concept of feeling a loss of safety, feeling a loss of, of happiness, you know, feeling a loss of a future that you plan for yourself. These are all things that, you know, I've experienced in, in different degrees in my life, but have never been able to really put a name to like, oh, wow, I'm experiencing grief and loss right now for myself. And that's mm -hmm. really powerful to, to have a framework in which to, to think about this. Yeah, I agree with you. I think just having the language and the framework, um, just in the first week of our class, um, People have said, oh, my gosh, I never knew. I never would have thought of that as a loss, but I totally see where this has affected event A and event B and event C because this is this was my belief I created around that. Um, or nobody ever talked to me about it. You know, one of the um, – Darcy Harris really focuses a lot on her textbook, and one of the reasons I love it and I think it's so well written, she talks about the social and cultural context of loss and uh, our practices and what messages we get from our earliest losses that we can remember. Were you around people that helped you and supported you and encouraged you to talk about it? Or did you say messages like, well, you need to get over that, or it's time, or um, one of the many ways we've rushed people through the process because we are uncomfortable with someone else going through it. I'm trying not to get stuff down you know, my own memory wormholes of events like that, right? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that as as we're having this conversation, I'm balancing between, you know, recognizing grief and loss in my life and then wondering how to move through that. And so then we, we shift over into this, this meaning-making process, which we've already defined. And some of the articles you sent me offer some really exciting experiential processes for for dealing with grief and loss. And so I'm wondering in this space, if you wouldn't mind just sharing some that you feel really excited about based off of the research that you've been doing. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I've been to several more trainings this year just getting gathering more information about different ways to approach rituals and ceremonies and meaning-making. Um, but it can be as simple as 
um, doing a grief and, a personal grief and loss timeline and looking at patterns and surprises when, with a series of focused prompts um, that on the simpler end of things, reflective journaling. There's some great websites, one called Healing Brave that uh, I can send you that has journal prompts. Um, just being able to do uh, sentence stems on, on one side of that, when you start getting into guided imagery, you know, are there things, almost like empty chair, gestalt things, this guided imagery, and you meet someone, and maybe it's someone that you have an unresolved loss with, and having a conversation with that person through this uh, guided imagery. Um, a lot of them have to do with art and creative expression because I think talk therapy can get to some grace, but it's it's housed in a different place in, your, in our brains, just like smells and memories uh, and how they go together. I think um, tapping into it through music and art and drawing, um, writing. Uh, I actually had a, a client one time that uh, rewrote the lyrics to a song about her, and she created a different ending, and it was her grief story. Um, but she was not at a place to do that for several decades. <laughs> Those types of things get really exciting to me. Um, Bibliography, there's so many great books out there for all ages. Um, I, you know, from Fall of Freddie DeLeaf for kids to all kinds of choices for young adults and older adults um, about uh, how do you move through the grief process. And I take that kind of inspiration from people's stories. I've had several people tell me this is what really helped me. Um, we were actually joking in my class last night about primal, the primal scream therapy from like the 70s, 60s and 70s, and really how anger is such a part of that. Anger is not one of those emotions that we have an acceptable place or time to express. Um, so a lot of cultures believe, too, that, that um, grief stuff down just turns into anger and resentment, and so starting with a way to get that out. Those are all, those are some, those are some things that come to mind. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways to do it. And one of my main takeaways from that was when talk therapy can be useful and you can get into it, it sounds like there's also tapping more into the unconscious process and creating that spaciousness is maybe a, a more effective way for certain clients in, in order to, like, really fully dive into it. Mm -hmm. I think so. That's been my experience both personally and professionally and with the, the students as, we, as we've gone through some of these activities and processes and what people's feedback is, is that I never would have seen that. I never would have known that. This was a surprise to me, sort of that what emerged, what surfaced. Um, and as you mentioned earlier about the sort of collective grief that a lot of us may be experiencing together, um, there is a piece of that. I, you know, I would say we are connected in that way, and when we can tap into that and share it, it, it is uh, pretty transformative, or can be. And so for clinicians who are working with clients experiencing grief and loss, what would you recommend in terms of training or just some, like, general, like, do's and don'ts? I'm glad you asked that because I think one of the biggest things around ethical and cultural considerations uh, 
of this of grief work is we use that phrase, you know, uh, meet people where they are a lot in our field. Um, and in my experience, people that have experienced losses or in the middle of a grief process that they're not really sure about, they don't know where they are because they haven't had that outlet to discuss it. So being able to hold space for people is the first thing that we need to do. You know, the counselor being and not the counselor doing. Um, that we don't have to have a an activity or a checklist and say, when we do this, you'll come out the other side, but just finding out what's there. Um, and as you've already mentioned, uh, I think people have our own stuff, right? We have our own unfinished business, and so we have to check ourselves, our beliefs, maybe learn from early messages. So we're gauging our own uh, ability to hold this as well as gauging the client's readiness, their pace. Um, I think culturally, the spiritual background, the cultural context um, is very, very crucial to understand before you can move forward with even suggesting or bringing up a possible um, experiential activity. What does the family believe in? What are their traditions around grief and loss? Do they have ceremonies, rituals? Um, One example is I went to an amazing workshop this spring. It was called the Latino Soul and Grief. And um, this speaker really shared some of the cultural views on grief loss and healing, that grief is a physical sensation, that tears wash the soul. Um, In a lot of uh, groups, there might be generational trauma and grief, you know, that we need to assess. What what did you learn from from your family, from your ancestors? So I think there's a lot of considerations. What do we need to... Uh, pay attention to, um, you know, and and that it's going to look different for different groups, a lot of different populations. But just like anything in counseling, I think the more tailored to a population, the better. Um, I came across some really interesting articles about the, you know, the Appalachian culture, right, and using feminist therapy, um, children on the autism spectrum, dealing with the loss they had in their school or their classroom, different faith traditions. So I think you really need to be able to do some research on the client that you have individually and not say this is this will work for all people. Yeah, and in a lot of ways we go back to like counseling 101, which is meet the client where they're at and don't push your mm-hmm. own agenda as a clinician, right? And mm-hmm. what I'm hearing really re- – what's really resonating with me is this cultural consideration, you know, what is – client-specific culture, maybe not so much like broad demographic culture, but what is the client-specific culture in their family, in their life experience, and what does it mean to to experience grief? Because grief looks different for everybody, and the ways that we Mm -hmm. process grief looks different for everybody. So to take a cookie-cutter approach to it doesn't make sense to me, and hearing your words really, Mm -hmm. like, rings, rings home that message. Yeah, and I, I don't want to oversimplify it, but that's, I mean, that first step is, you know, knowing yourself before you enter the room with somebody and your own unfinished business. I got to I gotta just throw out there, we don't handle grief and loss well as a culture and as a society. And so it's one of the last things that counselors might address unless they have to, um, you know, and that, and you'll see that, that. I don't know about your training, but I didn't have grief and loss training. Uh, only 20% of counseling programs have 
a grief and loss class, um, that's we have some work to do just to just to get it out there, just to get the language out there, the terms. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. My, uh, my graduate experience was limited in terms of my clinical training around grief and loss counseling, and so this is a, a tie-in to my next question: of like, well, so how can clinicians listening in begin to incorporate some of these concepts into their own practice? Uh, great question. Um, I think one of the easiest things to do uh, is to start recognizing the language of grief, how people express it, phrases like um, nothing like is ever going to be again, I'll never be able to do that, everything's changing, I really miss this, um, picking up on that there's been a transition, there has been a change, and what they think of that, getting ex helping to explore what does that mean for you, um, how is that affecting you now? And um, there's a lot of different ways that grief and loss can show up. So when people can learn the types and provide some education about it, they might hear something and say, you know, it sounds like to me that was a real loss for you. And being able to explore that and then give them some more information about, because like, well, that's not really a loss. I mean, that, it's not like I was, uh, this person disappeared from my life. Well, there are lots of different types of losses. There's amb ambiguous loss where the person may not be there physically, but they're, in your mind, they're an estranged family member or um, a parent that abandoned you, those types of things. So I think sometimes using metaphors, um, something simple like, we're going to talk about metaphors. I want you to draw your grief after you've named it. After you draw your grief and then have the person talk about it, what's going on for them, what does it symbolize for them. Um, and I think if you keep hearing it in a client's story, um, I have a really simple loss history checklist, um, and it's pretty amazing because it's really long, and only the top section is death. All the other the other three sections are non-death, um, and just giving some thought to that, I could spend probably two or three sessions on that one alone. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay, that's that's super useful, um, and it's it, it ties into the next question of. You know, for those who are interested in learning more about this topic, what would you recommend for them getting started? Um, I definitely think there's some great uh, videos and podcasts out there. Um, Darcy Harris, the the author, Darcy Harrison, uh, Harrison Wanakur is the book, the textbook I'm using, but Darcy Harris uh, is in the U.K. and she has a great um, video podcast. Um, she talks about grief in terms of our assumptive world, and I was mentioning the social context of loss. Um, in fact, she has a really humorous piece for those that don't like uh, the diagnostic part when, when people try to put, you know, complex bereavement or complicated prolonged grief disorder. She actually has a, a information on, you know, how do we diagnose a society that wants to cut our grief process short? <laughs> um, so I think it's pretty funny. I would say Pauline Boss, uh, who coined the term uh, ambiguous loss. Check out some of her materials. David Kessler's book on uh, meaning is the sixth stage. Has I think it's fairly recent, uh, fairly recently been published. And then there are a lot of, honestly, the, the wisdom of the elders, I'll sort of call it. Uh, Maladoma Somme, if you know him from West Africa. Martine Prechtel, um, Francis Weller. 
talks about the five gates of grief and, and climate grief is one of those I mentioned earlier. Um, I will say in our field, I have found a lot of good articles in the Journal of Creativity in Mental Health, um, maybe because we're talking about experiential expressive arts, ways to get at and get to uh, some movement in the grief process. Um, and then NPR has a couple of things, Story, a StoryCorps article on being with Krista Tippett. There's some really cool, juicy material that I like to uh, use in my classes just to start getting people thinking about um, this topic differently. Awesome. And we'll, we'll link uh, a lot of these up in my website, so you're welcome to, to go to the, the webpage after this podcast and, and check it out. And, um, find some of the links that uh, Dr. Lycus Worley is sharing with us. Um, before we transition into the rapid fires, I'm wondering, do you have any parting thoughts on this subject? Parting thoughts? Um, no, it's really, but to me, this is a whole new world that has opened up that I am just excited about. I mean, I can see just adding more pieces to this fast puzzle, and we do need more training, and we need more research and we need more um, things like this, the podcast and uh, videos and things like that. So, and I think it's, I never would have said 20 years ago, I'm going to get some specialization in grief and loss. Frankly, I didn't, I didn't want to. I didn't want to know much about grief and loss because it just seemed too sad and heavy. But it is, like I said, so pervasive. It's in everything. So I would encourage anyone um, to to uh, start down this path and see how it weaves itself into so much of our clients' experiences. Awesome. We've got to get KCREP on board with adding a, another core class. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for those of you listening who don't know what KCREP is, it is the accrediting board for counseling programs, and they have a specific <laughs> list of uh, criteria required um, for universities yeah. and Grief and loss counseling is not one of them yet. So, yes. doc, Dr. Likas Worley, thank you so much for your expertise on the subject. We're going to transition into the rapid-fire questions. I have a few prepared for you. Um, as always, you don't know what they are beforehand, so it's just top of your head, low-key, low investment, whatever comes to mind. So take a deep breath. <laughs> <laughs> and first question is, what has been the last book that you read for pleasure? Oh, that's hard because uh, I'm in like three book clubs. Um, <laughs> um, I would say one of the last ones I read that I really loved was The Island of Sea Women. Um, yeah, sort of the South Korean generations of free diving women, um, which is really cool. Um, and uh, I'm just starting... Um, American Dirt. I don't know what yet that's about, but. All right. TBD. Um, next question. And I've got three on hold at the library. <laughs> All right. Right on. Well, well read. <laughs> um, next question. What's the last book that you read for academia? For academia? Oh, gosh. Uh, probably this. Uh, this textbook. <laughs> I don't want to do a, a branding thing, but the grief and loss textbook. I've, I've reread it several times, and I've ended up using it in other classes too. 
Um, are you a are you a a Netflix watcher? I am. What's yeah. in your? I have. I, I should say I have become now. Yeah. COVID. Yeah, it it got a lot of us. I'm curious, what's what's been your most recent Netflix binge? Um, Atypical. That's a family with one of the people has uh, is on the autism spectrum. Um, so you're on an island, and you can only bring one sentimental item with you. What do you bring? Oh my goodness. One sentimental album? Probably a family photo album. Yeah, nice. You can get a lot of photos in, into that one item. <laughs> a family photo album, a collection of items. What What would you say is your most influential course when you were in graduate school? Mm, developmental. The developmental lifespan. Uh, I got really into that. I got really into interviewing people from all different ages and stages and learning from them. Yeah. That's fascinating. Um, Let me think. Who's your favorite superhero? Oh, Wonder Woman. Yeah, I have a whole Wonder Wonder Woman room in my house. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of uh, old old antique stuff and, and newer stuff. Yeah, cool. Wonder Woman for sure. Is that a DC universe? Oh, don't ask me that part. I don't know. Okay. I don't know the difference between DC and Marvel and all those. I just know Wonder Woman. Cool. You're in it for the superheroes, not, not the universe. I'm excited. <laughs> all right. Uh, final question, and this is one that I ask everybody. I, I really love it. What do you think is one thing worth remembering? One thing worth remembering in general in life? Yeah, Always be kind. Hmm. Always be kind. You never know what people are going through. Well, thank you so much for our time together today. I have learned a ton and been really grateful for, yeah, your voice in this conversation. Um, I hope for the people listening in that they've taken away some nuggets as well. And just again to say that I'll be posting a lot of the recommended links to my website, um, and you're welcome to to go check those out. Uh, Dr. Lycus Worley, thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much, Reese. The pleasure has been mine. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you this morning. This is the Counseling Connection Podcast. For additional information about grief and loss, including articles and additional reading, as well as information about Dr. Lycus Worley, you may visit ReeseWells.com, copyright by Reese Wells, Music by Alan Lawrence, artwork by Brady Lawrence.